The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us such victory and makes us so rich that even pain and bane is converted into blessing. The Word of God that we consider this morning is the next in our series of sermons from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. A little while ago, I heard a, a pastor talk about how he had sent his daughter to Wheaton College, which is a, a small Christian college located about 25 miles west of Chicago. And, and he, he boasted about this, this program that they had at this college called the High, the High Road Program. And what they do is they take their students up, this is part of the curriculum, by the way, of the college. I mean, every student has to go through this. They take the students up to the woods of northern Wisconsin, and they give them a compass and that's about it. <laughs> and then they tell them that they have to go from point A to point B, not a short distance, quite a long distance. It takes them two weeks of travel across the, the woods there of, yeah, of Wisconsin without getting lost. And so they have to find their food. They have to cook their food. Uh, they have to like travel by canoe and then carry the canoes over uneven terrain over there. You think it's a torture chamber, right? What's that? Yeah, you would okay. Tough stuff, right? Tough stuff. And, and the pastor talked about this, though, glowing, because he said that this program for these students, it wasn't putting them in an unsafe environment. There were always these leaders that were around and helping them out. But, but more importantly, he said that this program really helped the students Take away a lot of the superficialities, the, you know, the, all of the outward stuff of our life, and just get to the very core of our basic selves, right? And, and, and what he said was that, that this program, this program was really aimed at, at getting people to really get back to the very basics, and, and really to, to, to think about leaning and relying on God, especially when you have so little, and you are so tired, and you are so exhausted. So it's, it's kind of like using the hardships and the difficulties of living out there in the wild as a way to really get you back to the very core and basis of what you are. It's kind of, like, it's kind of like you're going through life as a boat, and you've got a bunch of those little barnacles all there, and all of that hardship just kind of scrapes all of those barnacles off. Then the pastor made this application to the Christian life. He said this. He said that as Christian people, sometimes our boat, our faith, is more barnacle-lead than we would want it to be. And there are so many barnacles and, and we get cluttered with, with all kinds of just like saying the right things with our mouth and, and all kinds of just characterizations and formulas and putting a nice smile when we come to church on Sunday mornings. But do we really know what it is to think like a Christian and to act like a Christian and to talk like a Christian in our everyday lives outside of just on a Sunday morning at church? Those of you who have your Bibles, you may have your Bibles if, if you don't. The verses right before our lesson, Paul 
introduces the whole concept of sonship. And he says how the Holy Spirit himself testifies that we are sons of God. And then almost immediately, Paul introduces the concept of suffering. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's a bummer. Why would he do that? But it makes perfect sense. Because to be a child of the Most High God necessarily means that in this life, we will, we must suffer. We must suffer because, of course, we are sinners in a sin-broken world. We must suffer always because we're Bible-believing Christians. You know what I have to say about that? You know what I have to say about that? Good for us. And I don't say that because I'm some sort of sadomasochistic pastor that you guys called here and like, oh my goodness, what did we just do? I say that because like that Wheaton College program, only better, God means to do something really good with our suffering. I want everybody to listen to me right now. God does not believe in wasting things. And one of the last things that he believes in wasting is your pain. There is not one hurt or one pain that God is not going to take in his loving hands and do something beautiful with it. We don't always see it, this side of heaven. We certainly don't always feel it. But this is most certainly true. And that's what I want to talk to you about today on the basis of Romans 8. I want us to leave church here victorious, not just in spite of the pains in our life, in spite of the sufferings, but because of them. Because I think to myself this, oh my goodness, if we can walk out of our church victorious with the worst that life has to throw at us, then what can defeat us? Right? What can get you down if the worst that this life has to throw to you can actually be victory in your own heart? And so you know what? We might actually be able to go through life a little bit. Can I say it to you? Can I dare to say it to you? Happier. You want that? Okay, open up Romans chapter 8, please. Everybody here, let's look at Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25. I consider, says the Apostle Paul, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, transitional labor, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The year is 588 B.C. And the prophet Jeremiah is in Jerusalem, and, and, and while he's in the city, he cries out to the people. This is his sermon to the people. The siege ramps are being built to take the city. And what was, by this time, actually, the siege had gone on for two years. And the horrors that were taking place inside of Jerusalem are indescribable. Uh, things that I, I can't even mention here in the sermon, they're so horrible. The, the starvation that was going on, and, and the death, 
and the typhus that ruled the streets. I mean, bodies stacked high. And then, 11 months later, in 587 BC, in August, Jerusalem finally fell. And here is where the prophet Jeremiah did something that was absolutely absurd and almost nuts. You know what he did? He called up his real estate agent. And he said, I want to buy this piece of land here in Jerusalem. And he gave every penny, every dime that he had, 17 shekels to his name, and he bought this piece of land in a doomed city. Why would he do that? Because this was his way to declare to the whole world, my God is not a liar. He promised that there would be restoration. He promised that the people would return. He promised an even greater restoration in Christ. And I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I am buying this piece of land because I know he will come through for me. And so Jeremiah, this prophet, did for the people of his day what he does for the people sitting here today. He teaches us what it means to have hope. You know what hope is, right? Hope is, this is the way I kind of define it in my own mind. Hope is having optimism and eagerly awaiting the future because you're so focused on the invisible, on, on, on the, the declared promises of God in Christ Jesus that will one day bring about this future that we have yet to see, but boy, we know it is so true because this, this promise looms so large in our life. This is hope, right? And, and if you look at, you count up all, of, all the times that hope is even is mentioned, that word, I mean, it's amazing. At the, those last two verses, we hear that word five times in two verses, and so the key theme running through this entire section is this theme of hope, right? Even creation itself is said to hope. I mean, isn't it amazing that creation itself eagerly awaits this adoption as sons? And so it's like all of the, like the fish and the birds and the sky and the moon and the stars, all of it is like one corporate believer. And they have before their mind's eye this promise that one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to resurrect and or glorify his believers. And then creation gets to be what it was always meant to be, this glorious, beautiful, perfect home for the glorious, beautiful, perfect children of God. That's how, what God had designed it. That's how creation hopes for it, right? So, so the prophet Isaiah, he hoped hard, and, and the Holy Spirit, through these words, he wants you and me to hope hard. Yeah? Here's the thing. Is it not so that sometimes, even for us Christians, hope is a rare guest? And, and, and as much as we want to, to live in that optimism, because we are so focused in the invisible, sometimes we feel hopeless. And it's not that we're always on the brink of suicide or something like that. It's just simply this, that, that sometimes we live anxious. Sometimes we're almost like addicted to sadness and to a little bit of melancholy and complaining. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't look at the future with optimism, but with a little bit of fear and trepidation, right? There's some fear and trepidation in our hearts because, because we're so focused on the visible on the brokenness of the world around us and on what we can see. You know, you know how you can tell that hope is a little bit empty in our own hearts? Here's two ways, all right? There, there are two distinct ways, but they're the flip sides of the same coin. The one is our hopelessness is demonstrated in what is known as a midlife crisis. And you don't have to be midlife 
to actually get through, go through this crisis, you can be as early in your 20s. Because all the midlife crisis is, is when you finally come face to face with the futility of life, where you know you're trying really hard at something and you just can't quite get it, and, and, it's, and it's frustrating. And, and, and you maybe have these dreams and these aspirations that never come through for yourself or for the people around you, and, and it almost feels sometimes like you're spinning your wheels, right? Like you're going nowhere fast, and even like sometimes you're wasting your time, wasting your breath, even wasting your life. And, and this is where, where, where we start to almost fantasize about escape and, and about going to a place apart from, from these present circumstances in our life. And by the way, by the way, this is what I have to say here. This is kind of an aside. But, but oftentimes it's in this type of environment that's very fraught with like extramarital affairs to take place because it's when people are feeling this just hopelessness and they want this escape that they search for vitality in something else. But we can also be hopeless in this regard. That, that, that we have, especially we who live here in America, what are known as first world problems. You know what those first world problems are? Yeah, I think, yeah. You know those first world problems where, where we, you know, we really have it really well here, so we have to kind of make stuff up to complain and gripe about, right? Like, I can't eat that food. That syrup is touching my eggs. That's gross. Take it back, right? One of my friends likes to call, it, call our problems sometimes, my yacht is too big problems, right? <laughs> or, or like that, you know that, that comedian Louis C.K., what, what he said? You know, he says, you know, here in America, we, we, this is his term, not mine, okay? We have white people problems. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be white. But if you live in America, he says, you have white people problems. This is what white people problems are. He's like, he's like in other countries, they have real problems. Like, they wake up one day, and they're going to say, they're going to cut off all our heads today. But here in, in America, we have problems like, man, why do I have to choose a language on the ATM machine? I'm American. I shouldn't have to do that. hopelessness in those ways where we are just focused on the little things of this life and just complaining and griping about that. You know, though, I'm happy right now. You know why? Because, not just because you're laughing and you're smiling at those things and you know that they're true. I'm happy because for you and me, Christian people who sometimes lose hope in life, there is hope. There is great hope. You know, the Apostle Paul in chapter 15 of this very book calls God the God of hope. And so God is the one who is taking it upon himself to fill your hearts, to fill my hearts with hope. And he's going to do it in the most amazing way. And the way that God chooses to do our hope is to take our very pains and sufferings and turn them into servants of hope. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that God did not believe in wasting anything, least of all our pains, and he is going to use it to turn it into a servant to build us hope. And he teaches us that in verse 20 of our text. I want you to look at it real quickly here. This is, how, this is what we hear. The creation was subjected to frustration, it says, right? So creation itself was subjected to all the frustration and futility of the corruption and decay that comes as a consequence of sin. But creation didn't choose that for itself. How, did, how was creation put under this terrible plight of suffering and death? by the will of the one who subjected it. Who was that? No, it wasn't the devil. It was God. God himself took his beautiful creation and subjected it to suffering and death and the consequences of sin. Now, ask me the question that I know you're dying to ask me. 
Why on earth would God want to do that when creation was innocent? Why did he subject this world to so much suffering and pain and death? And then it's the, it's the, it's the last two words of that verse 20. In hope, the creation was subjected to frustration in hope. In other words, God used all of this pain and this suffering that the world experiences to push this creation into the swimming pool of his promises of restoration in Christ so that creation itself could be dissatisfied with the way things are in the here and now and look forward to that glorious, beautiful restoration that God has promised in Jesus. So God uses pain and suffering to make creation live in hope, and he does the same with you and me. And you know how I know it's true? You know how I know it works? Because you're here right now. And every single one of you has hurts. And not just first people silly problems. Real problems. Real pain. Real tears. But you are here because in part through those very things, the Lord has used them to bring you to the one place that you know you can find that liberation and that hope from them. In the sweet message of Christ. That Christ Jesus was on the cross and that he washed away every reason for hopelessness and filled you with the hope of heaven. And like the prophet Jeremiah, here you are. He spent 17 shekels to get you know, his piece of land. You spent hours getting up this morning. You made an effort to get here just to hear of the glories that God has in store for you that far, far outweigh any pain and suffering that you have now. I mean, it's amazing that verse 18, where God invites us to take all of our real pain and suffering, this huge mountain, and then put it against the, 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 the glorious sun of the glory on the last day, and he says, all of that suffering and all of that pain is going to go poof, dissipate into nothing by comparison. So great is the glory that awaits us. Here am I looking at people who live in hope in part because of their pain. There's just one last thing to say, but it's very important, guys. It's very important. When God gives us hope in Christ, he gives us an extraordinary life. He enables us, through the hope that is in us, to give an extraordinary testimony to the gospel so that when people see that life is wrecking us and ruining us and we still are holding on to faith and hope in God, that they can wonder, how in the world does that happen? And so, here it is. A few years ago in Fort Worth, Texas, a young man maybe early 20s, late teens, was taking out his girlfriend for a date, and so they went on a motorcycle from Fort Worth to Dallas. While they were on the freeway, a semi-truck was in the left-hand lane, and it veered over, and it didn't see them, and it basically destroyed them. And the young, both the young man's legs were severed, and one of his arms was, was cut off, and, and the young woman was also fatally injured. And when his church family, their church family found out about it, of course, they were grieving. They were, they were in sorrow. It wasn't until about a month later that they started to make sense of it. Because in walks this, this other young man. And after one Sunday there, he wants to become a member of the church. Now, the people there are very happy. But they're also wondering, well, why, why does he want to make a commitment so soon? And this is when the young man tells the story. A real cataclysmic event happened in my life several weeks ago. 
I was, I was driving behind this couple that was on a motorcycle, and the semi-truck didn't see them, and he veered onto them and, and just rolled right over them. And, and I knew that, that, that they were dying, and I saw them in the agony of dying, and, and, the, and the young girl didn't have an arm, and the young man didn't have his legs and, and his arm. And, and so I didn't know what to do, so I just went over there, and I leaned over, and I said to the young man, is there something I can do for you? And he said to me, there's nothing you can do for me. I'm going to be dying soon. But maybe there's something I can do for you. Can I tell you about my Jesus and the hope of heaven that I have in him that I will be going to soon? And the man in the church said, at that moment, my life seems so foolish and so stupid. But because of the hope in Christ that was presented to me that day, Jesus is going to get all of me for the rest of my life. See what a powerful testimony hope can bring and how extraordinary hope makes the people of God. And this is what God is doing for you. So I told you, we're going to suffer in this world. Good for us, because God is doing something really good for us through it. He is using our suffering and pain to drive us into those beautiful, invisible promises of hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he's working something extraordinary for us. Your lives are extraordinary. Go out now and live them. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, and all of your real problems, and all of your first world problems, with your eyes fixed on Jesus, let everyone around you see and hear of the hope of glory that is in you. Amen.